Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. In 1756, Mozart was born. I'm just saying his last name, everybody pretty much knows who I'm talking about, and he was a musical prodigy. By the age of three, his sister, his older sister, who was practicing on a musical instrument said after she was finished he would come up and begin to kind of peck out the notes and knew it thirds and sevenths and all of the other things that i probably am messing up even right now he could figure it out at age three by age five he started to compose music by age eight he had composed his first symphony which i don't think by age eight i knew how to write my name he was born to be a musician Most people would say that about him, that he was and probably is still to this day considered one of, if not the greatest musician. He was born to do that. And as we get to the next section of of the Gospel of John, we're going to spend a few moments looking at John the Baptist and what he was born to do. John the Baptist has been mentioned at several points in the prologue as I've gone through that over the past few weeks. John, the writer of the Gospel, has mentioned John the Baptist in several places. But as we get to verse 19, for the next 19 or so verses, is really the main concentration. He'll make another appearance, John the Baptist will, in this gospel before it's over. But we see uh, probably the the succinct capture of his ministry. And John the Baptist, we kind of know what his life was going to be like even before he was born. His father was a man named Zacharias, and the birth or the leading up to the birth of John the Baptist is recorded in Luke Chapter 1, Zacharias was a priest, and he was to go into the temple and burn incense. And while he was in there, the angel Gabriel appeared. And the angel Gabriel began to tell Zacharias that he was going to have a son. And this was a big deal because he was older, and he and his wife had not had any children. And the angel Gabriel told him this in John chapter 1. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. You and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you'll call his name John. He will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them, before him in spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready Though for the Lord, a people prepared. And so even before John the Baptist was born, we kind of have an idea of what he was made for, what his life was all about. And so here in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John writes about John the Baptist. He gives us three days in the life of John the Baptist to show us his role in the kingdom of God. Verse 19, we see a little bit about these, these Jews sent priests and Levites in verse 29 it says the next day and so that's day two and then down in verse 35 we see the next day 
three straight days. And in those three days, we will see a picture of John the Baptist and what his role, how his ministry unfolded. And John the Baptist was just like everything we see here. He was a, a guy hung out in the wilderness, dressed a little funny, ate a little funny. He preached, but a lot of people were coming to him. Thousands upon thousands were going to him. And that's what we see in this section. I'm going to ask you to stand in the honor of God's word as we read, beginning in verse 19, chapter 1, the gospel of John. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this, this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, that we can look at what you had John write so long ago and see this man, John the Baptist, and his role in your kingdom. And I pray this morning as we look at this and we understand it, and we understand our role in your kingdom as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Three days in the life of John the Baptist. And in these we see as John, who as we saw in the Gospel of Luke, was prepared ahead of time and was told what he was going to do, that he was to come and announce, prepare the way for Jesus. He even says that here in verse 23 that we'll get to. And John, on these three days, each day kind of has a different part of his announcement. And on day one, John the Baptist announced the Messiah's presence. He announced the Messiah's presence. In verse 19, the testimony of John, these Jews sent priests and Levites to ask him a question. The priests and the Levites would have been, as we see a little bit later on in verse 24, they come from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, they along with the Sadducees. And John the Baptist, as I mentioned earlier, he was out in the wilderness. He was preaching. 
He was as baptizing people. People were coming to him by the hundreds, if not thousands. And he was starting to, to make a name for himself. And he was a little bit odd. He stayed out there by himself. He dressed. He ate locusts. He was, you know, that's odd. Probably at any time in history, that's a little bit different. But he was attracting a large crowd. And so the religious leaders of the day took notice of this. And so they sent some emissaries, I guess, or some underlings, these priests and Levites, to go find out. Go ask him, find out, what is he doing? Who is he? Why is this going on? And so they show up and they ask him this straight question, who are you? And what they really mean by that is we see in the answer that John gives and then as they continued with some follow-up questions, there are some particular people they're trying to find out if, if John the Baptist is. And the first one, they don't ask, but John straight out confesses that he is not the Christ. And he does it really emphatically. He confesses. Did not to die, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so right off the top, he wants to make sure everyone knows I'm not the Christ or the Messiah. Just as a little side note, Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek, but for all intents and purposes, the words mean the same basic thing. So when you see Christ or Messiah, they're somewhat interchangeable. He says, I'm not the Christ. So he says, listen to these Levites and priests before you go back to the Pharisees. Let them know this person that they have been thinking about and and." looking at these prophecies and teaching and looking forward to the Christ, I'm not him. That's not me. So they get that out, and then uh, so they go, well, let's ask some follow-up questions. Are you Elijah? Now, you remember when I preached through uh, the section of Scripture on Elijah, you remember what happened to Elijah at the end? He didn't die. He and Elisha crossed over the, this river, and as they were talking, there was a chariot of fire, and there was a whirlwind, and Elijah was taken up. And many of the Jews believed because throughout his life, Elijah was just there. And then the next day he was gone. The same thing happened again. And they were waiting for him to come back. And, and there's still some of them to this day waiting for him. And there's different prophecies that go along with that. But Elijah, that's, they thought maybe this is, this is Elijah. They didn't have a picture of him or anything like that. And John the Baptist, as you can probably tell if you read through the New Testament, a lot of his ministry is very similar to Elijah. He is very much in line with how Elijah operated in the Old Testament and all of that, but he isn't literally Elijah. And so when they ask him that question, he says, no, I'm not that guy either. And then they ask him a third question, are, are you the prophet? Now, the prophet we know a lot less about than, than the Christ Messiah or, or Elijah. In fact, nobody's 100% sure what exactly is going on here, but there is a reference in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Verse 15, that there is going to be a prophet in the, the likes of Moses that will one day come. And, and apparently here in the early, the first century, there is this thought that there's this prophet that's coming. And maybe that's who John the Baptist is. So they're asking him that. Is, are you this guy? Are you the prophet? Nope. And, and I mean, they're probably sitting there kind of stumped. You can just imagine they're like, oh, huh. You know, you scratch your head. They probably get together. Well, what are we going to do now? And so they come up with this. Well, what do you have to say about yourself? Who are you? I mean, you're out here, all of these people, hundreds, thousands coming out here and listening to you, you're baptizing. What do you have to say for yourself? And in verse 23, he answers them. And he does it in a very cryptic way. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm John. He just says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, he in essence quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he doesn't really say anything about, you know, look at me and my credentials and all of these other things. He refers to himself really as a voice. 
I'm a messenger. And what he is doing, he is preparing or making straight or, or preparing a way, as we saw at the end of the, what the, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah about his son John the Baptist. He is preparing a people for the Lord. There's a lot to preparation. I, I'm ripping out a bathroom at my house. I mentioned that last week, so that'll probably be something I'll mention for a while. And, uh, I realize before you actually get to making it look the way you want it to look, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of things that just you got to level out, flatten out, get rid of, remove, and all of those types of things. And that's, in essence, the ministry of John the Baptist. He comes and begins to speak, begins to prepare the hearts, and the people are coming, and they're being baptized. It's a sign of repentance. Their hearts are turning. Their hearts are shifting. The nation of Israel, some of the folks are beginning to look and be ready for the actual Messiah to come. And that's, in essence, what he is telling him here. They say, well, who are you? He said, I'm, they talked about me in the Old Testament, and here I am. This is my ministry. Verse 24, we realize this isn't good enough for them. It says they had been sent from the Pharisees, and so they said, then why are you baptizing? In other words, what permission, what authority do you have to do this? You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah nor the prophet. Notice they're not really even concerned at all with what he answered. I'm a voice, I'm this prophecy of the Old Testament, I am making a straight the way of the Lord. They just kind of gloss over that and say, wait a minute, if you're none of these other three characters and you're just whatever, by what authority are you baptizing? Baptism is an interesting thing, we're very familiar with it today, but you notice if you read you know, Genesis through Malachi, you don't really see it in the Old Testament. And so all of a sudden here, John's doing it. Well, baptism, if you read parts of Ezekiel and Zechariah and you see there's, there's ritual cleansings and different things, there was a sense of baptism in the Old Testament, but it wasn't for the Jews. The Jews were okay. They were God's chosen people in their minds by the, 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 their birth. They were born as descendants of Abraham. But there were non-Jewish people that wanted to become Jewish. They wanted to be part of the Jewish people. And so that's, you see some of these baptisms for the non-Jewish people. But that didn't really apply to the Jews. And so I think the, the Pharisees and these Levites and these priests are a little concerned or confused about why are you baptizing? By what authority? Who told you you could do this? Because he's baptizing Jews and non-Jews alike. And look at John's answer to that. He doesn't really give them any authority or anything. He just says, I baptize with water. Anybody can baptize with water, he's going to mention later on about the actual baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Notice the next day, he's going to point out who this is. But right now, he, you don't even know him. But this guy, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. Now, if you, you're familiar with the first century, the lowest thing that a slave did for their, their master was to wash their feet. Well, before you washed their feet that were covered in dirt and blood and all that, you had to take their sandal off. And so John the Baptist is saying, listen, I know there's thousands of people, all these people coming out to me, listening to me. But understand this, I'm not even worthy to perform the lowest task on this one, this person that's coming. And what are the, the Levites and the priests? And do they ask, do they inquire further or anything like that? No. As far as we know, they say, okay, they leave. Here, John the Baptist is telling these people, 
Listen, there is somebody coming. I'm preparing the way. Things are afoot. There's this great spiritual change that's about to take place. The greatest thing in the history of the world, especially the Jewish people, is, is about to take place. And you're missing it. All they really cared about was the politics, the power. Here they were from the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders. They had their comfortable, cushy life, kind of running things there. They had the Romans above them, but for the most part, they could do what they wanted to do. John the Baptist, he's kind of ruffling feathers. He's causing some problems. Let's go take care of that. But they weren't at all aware of what was going on spiritually. And the Pharisees and the Levites and the priests of all of the people should have known what was going on. They're the ones that were supposed to be studying the Old Testament scriptures. They should be looking for the Messiah. They should have been paying attention to the signs. And here they have a guy telling them about it. And they missed it. All they were concerned about was the here and the now. And how easy that is to do. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read it, I encourage you to do it. It's kind of an interesting book. The book is really a correspondence between two demons. One demon is screw tape, and the other demon is Wormwood. And Wormwood is kind of the lower, you know, he's kind of the lower ranked demon, and his job is to tempt a human being. And so he's writing letters to screw tape his uncle to get advice on how he should do this. And as he's, this correspondence is going back and forth, one day, Wormwood, he, he, as he's trying to tempt this, this person, this person that he's trying to tempt is having some deep spiritual thoughts starting to mull over some of the truths of Christianity, some of the claims of Christianity. And so he, as he's writing to his uncle, he's, he's saying, listen, this is the way I'm going to go about trying to tempt him. And, you know, he's going to try and argue with him and debate him and all of these. Screw tape writes back and says, listen, that. And his uncle writes back, and you really just have that side of it. His uncle screw tape writes back and says, listen, if this person is having these deep spiritual thoughts, the worst thing you could do is to, to engage him is to make him think these deep spiritual thoughts and go back and forth. Instead, this is what you do. Make him know he's hungry. Let him know his belly is empty. And some people on Sunday morning can relate to that at a church service. You know, we meet a little early, so you should be all right. But let him know his stomach's empty. And let him know you shouldn't have these deep spiritual thoughts on an empty stomach. That's no good. You need to go get something to eat. Go down to McDonald's. He doesn't say McDonald's. But go down to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever. Get yourself a bite to eat and... And the next thing you know, by the time he gets there, he'll be thinking about, you know, the weather or something he saw on the way over there, an advertisement or the ball game or what, and the spiritual things will just disappear. How often is that the case in our lives? How easy is it for the few moments when some of those spiritual truths, the big things of our lives that we need to address, start to come in our minds and we quickly shove them aside for the mundane day-to-day stuff? Let me ask you this question. How have you organized your life? How have you carved out areas of your life set aside so that you can have time to have the deep spiritual meditations that you need? To read the word of God, to think about it, to let it settle in, to interact with it, to ask questions of it. Or are you so caught up in the ball game or what's on TV or scrolling through this or that or the other thing that you really have no time? And the few moments where you're starting to go, well, this is a, what's this really saying? How easily distracted are you? It can happen. And we can miss the Messiah's presence. John the Baptist announced the Messiah's presence. In day two, verse 29, 
John the Baptist announced the Messiah's mission. It says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, and there's this series after this of, of all these proclamations about Jesus, about the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God, he who comes after me ranks before me. I saw the Spirit descend on him. He's the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the Son of God. He did, I think this is more of a collection of, of announcements that, and, and things that John made about the Messiah and his mission. The Lamb of God is a clear reference to the fact that Jesus is going to die in a substitutionary way for sinners. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish people would have been very familiar with the Lamb, the Passover. The Lamb was killed. The blood was put on the doorposts. It served as this, as, as this thing in the law about taking away sins, although a lamb or, or no animal actually takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus does. John says, that's who Jesus is. Here he comes. He talks about the, the eternal Logos. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John already recorded this exact phrase back in verse 15. Now it says in here, I myself, verse 31, I didn't know him. And he does say that a little bit later again in verse 33. I myself did not know him. And there's been some, what does that mean? Because John the Baptist and Jesus were actually related to each other and Probably it just simply means that John the Baptist in some way that we're not 100% aware of. In the, he wasn't totally aware of that Jesus was the guy. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. But at some point God made him aware. It says in here, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That John the Baptist becomes aware of Jesus as the eternal Logos. Jesus also is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. If you remember in verse 26, John answered, I baptize with water. I've baptized people with water. That's uh, one of the great joys of being a pastor and doing that as a symbol is to show people, hey, this person has professed faith, but I cannot baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who Christ, in a way, is the Father his eternal plan, Jesus, and his substitutionary death, Holy Spirit, with his conviction and entering us upon conversion. It's how somebody becomes a believer. It's when somebody goes from, from being lost to being a follower of Jesus Christ in this supernatural way. I am chosen, what we sang just a while ago. John the Baptist is announcing this is his mission, to have a, a people for himself. And then finally there in verse 34, And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God, the fourth one, the Son of God. That word son can be translated elect, the chosen one, that this is the, the, that Jesus is announcing his mission. This is God's plan from the very beginning. What began in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that we saw a week ago that God set in motion his plan of redemption. John the Baptist is announcing this is Jesus, this is him. He takes away the sins of the world. He's been around forever. He's the Logos. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is God's plan. John is quite clearly making clear here on day two what he was talking about there on day one. This is the focal point of his ministry. This is the focal point of who he's about. The role of John the Baptist is all about Christ. The fish hatchery. Friday, a week ago Friday, we went to Heber Springs to the fish hatchery. And we saw lots of trout. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of trout that we learned for the most part live in a little trench and then die. 
but there, there you go. There's lots of trout there. And on the way up there, we were driving up to Heber Springs on this road. We drove past a cowboy church. Had a big boot, you know, the cowboy church is announcing the things. And I began to think about the idea of a cowboy church. And if you don't know, the idea behind having a church with a theme kind of goes back about 20 or 30 years ago. There weren't cowboy churches in the New Testament or probably the first 2,000 years of Christianity. But it goes back to the church growth movement and something in the church growth movement saying churches should just get bigger and bigger and bigger no matter what. It was called the homogeneous unit principle. I give you these things if you want to write them down and just impress people tomorrow. What do you think about the homogeneous unit principle? The homogeneous unit principle is this, that churches, while they gather and they're supposed to be about Jesus Christ, most all of them, if not all of them, have other things, most of the time one thing that is also the main reason they gather together. In other words, they're all of the same race, they speak the same language, they make about the same amount of money, they're in the same this, that, or the other thing. And the trick for the churches of the world is to figure out what is that thing that connects all of us and really focus on that. So in the case of a cowboy church, it's being a cowboy, which is I'm fine with cowboys. I wore cowboy boots once. I look like a goofball, so I don't wear them anymore. But it makes me wonder if you're not a cowboy, do you go there? And is it about being a cowboy or is it about Christ? And every church has to ask this. Every believer has to ask, what is the focal point of our ministry? Is it something else with Christ or is it, as John the Baptist said here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who came before me, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the chosen one of God? That is why we gather together. That is who we are. John the Baptist announced the Messiah's presence. He announced the Messiah's mission. In the last couple of verses here, he announces the Messiah's preeminence. Verse 35, the next day, day three. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Next week we get to see as Jesus begins to interact. But this is kind of the end for John the Baptist. And it's a fitting end. There he is, this guy who has been preaching for we don't know how long. A while. Who's watched tens of people turn into hundreds of people. Turn into thousands of people that have come out to hear him. He's baptizing them. He's become so famous, so to speak. Such a, an integral uh, influencer. Uh, that's a thing now today to just be an influencer. He was, you know, one of those, so much so that the Pharisees are sending people to figure out. He's done all of this, this huge gathering. And then one day, as he says, there's the Lamb of God, they begin to leave him. Here it's two, but John the Baptist, for the most part, fades away after this because Jesus comes on the scene. And his huge role in the kingdom begins to slowly but surely diminish. And as a pastor, I can only imagine there's a human part of you that goes, man, that's got to be rough. You like to see the crowd get bigger, not get smaller. But I don't think it bothered him at all. In fact, as you look through the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it's apparent because everything about John the Baptist is pointing to this. In verse 8, 
we read, he was not the light, speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He was pointing to him. Verse 15, I've already mentioned, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. We see that quote twice in this passage. In verse 20, when John wrote, or John confessed and did not deny, but confessed, that's a Greek way of with three negatives of really saying John really wanted everybody to know, I am not the Christ. Verse 26 and 27, John the Baptist talks about not being worthy to untie his sandal. Verse 30 is where he says once again that he comes before me, ranks before me. Everything about John the Baptist is about saying, listen, I have a role. My role is to to announce the coming of Christ. And once he's here, it's all about him. His ministry would slowly but surely fade. If you go over to chapter 3, and I hate jumping ahead too much because we'll eventually get there. But there is a, a section here I want you to see. John chapter 3, it says this in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, this they came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. This is how John answered. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ. But I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bride is now complete. Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And verse 30 is one of the most famous verses in the New Testament about humility. He must increase. I must decrease. And as I look at John the Baptist and his announcement of the preeminence of the Messiah, and as his ministry began to to fade away, he eventually ends up in prison. He eventually, for basically calling out the illicit marriage of the king, he gets beheaded for that. I see this, he must increase and I must decrease. And I ask myself, does our culture of Christianity really get that today? As I was preparing this, I got on Amazon And I just typed in their little search engine, best-selling Christian self-help. So I typed in that phrase, and the first book that popped up was by a woman named Rachel Hollis. She's since written another book, but in the Christian uh, self-help, it was Girl, Wash Your Face. So I began to read the first chapter, because you can do that. You know, you can click on the thing and read a little bit. And there were some things that I read in there that I just want you to to see from a Christian self-help book. This is one of the sentences. You are meant to be the hero of your own story. A little bit later, it says, you and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. Then a little bit later, it says, you should be the very first of your priorities. Now, I want you to see those if they're up there. And I want you to ask yourself, after reading John the Baptist, who says, he must increase and I must decrease. Who said, I am just a voice in the wilderness. All he was about was Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Does this sound like that? And I don't mean to just pick on this this person. I'm sure there's some other good things in the book because it can apply to all of us. As I sat there after I got done on Amazon, I just started 
Googling a little bit about social media and being liked and this whole phenomenon that has become overwhelming. That people go online over and over, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever you want to call it, and there's this infatuation with being liked and being thumbs up or getting your tweets retweeted or are people interacting with me, that there are those that wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is go to all of these these social media sites and check to see are people liking it they look at the notifications are people looking at me 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 ultimately a lot of this is tied to the concept of self-esteem you know self-esteem is not biblical right you won't find it anywhere now, I'm not telling everybody to go out and you beat yourself up and think horrible thoughts about yourself, but we seem to be a society that is caught up with the idea that the best thing we can do is teach self-esteem. The problem with self-esteem is it relies on self. If I'm trying to find my sense of value from within myself, well, what happens when I run up to the fact that I'm a desperate, wicked sinner? Because I am, and so are you. All of us are. No matter how much we try and build up from within, eventually run into the problem of the fact that we know how bad we are. We know the ways we fail. We know the ways we fall short. And nobody telling us enough times that you can do it. You're good enough. You're all of these things. You can. It doesn't work. That's why Jesus in the the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Blessed are the people that with great self-esteem. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Until we realize it's all about him. He is preeminent. John the Baptist got it. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. It doesn't matter if my ministry goes. It doesn't matter if my life in the world's eyes amounts to nothing. It doesn't matter if I die penniless under a bridge somewhere. Jesus is preparing a place for me. He knows my name. He knows where I am. John the Baptist understood it. The crowds left him. Probably first there were thousands, then a little bit less, then hundreds, then tens, till finally one day he went out to the river, and there was nobody. And out off the way he saw Jesus, and he smiled, and he praised God. That's what we're about. That's what John the Baptist is talking about here. He prepared the way for the Lord. He knew his role. He knew what he was born for so i want you to bow your heads for just a moment we're going to sing a final song here in just a but bow your heads and i want you to spend a moment before the as the musicians get up here to sing the final song we're going to stand and sing with them but as we think about our roles what are we born for what are we all about how easy it is for us to be like those in the first day we get distracted with the mundane things of this world building our own little empires our own little kingdoms and sometimes we miss the center of the focus that john the baptist talked about there on day two it's about the lamb of god the one who comes before us the son of god the one who baptizes with the holy spirit so just spend a moment here i'm going to pray in just a minute before we sing but spend a moment in that last spirit that we would examine our lives decrease The blessed are the poor in spirit that we would examine our lives and say, Lord, let it be about you. Let it be about your kingdom. And Lord, let my pride decrease.